I rarely quote Bon Jovi uh, in a sermon. How many of you know actually actually know who Bon Jovi is? Okay, wait a minute. He's. I mean, I mean, most of you guys weren't born. I don't think when when Bon Jovi was but doing his thing back in the '80s, the the band. Um, yeah, back in the mid '80s, I think they were pretty big. They had a hit song called "It's My Life." If you remember this song, there's a great line in the chorus which I've always liked um, as a Christian. Now, I know Bon Jovi's agenda is much different than mine, but I like the line in this chorus. The chorus goes like this. It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. Anybody know what comes next? I just want to live while I'm alive. Who said that? Josh? Okay. Me and it. Okay. I just want to live while I'm alive. I think this is pregnant with theological implications. Now, obviously, uh, there, are some, there are some implications here, both good and bad, and it would take me way too long to fully dissect the whole course. But apart from all the necessary theological clarifications and qualifications, let me just make a few comments. In one sense, of course they're right. It is your life, right? It is your life. It was a gift from God. He granted you your physical being. And on some future day, He will require your soul of you. As God told the, the guy that was building barns in Luke chapter 12. So it's our life, but we are accountable to our Creator. It's true. It's now or never, right? Carpe diem. You must seize the day. You must seize the day. Your soul is immortal, but your physical being is temporal. You must seize the day. You are, as we often say, you are vapor upon the earth. James 4, 14. And yes, as Bon Jovi sings, we aren't going to live forever. We understand as Bible believers and even as just observation, uh, general observation in the world, we are not here to stay. We are here to go. It is a sprint to the grave. And then Bon Jovi sings, I just want to live while I'm alive. <laughs> That's what I'm going to challenge you to do tonight from this text. Challenge you to live while you are alive. Yes, I understand this line could be a bit of a theological mess, but if we just take it simply as Bon Jovi means it, we understand he is exhorting us to live this one and only temporal life huge. Right? This is his exhortation. And again, of course, no doubt he means something far different than I do. I'm sure he has his own self-indulgent, hedonistic, uh, man-centered approach to life. My approach would be much different. A God-seeking, God-honoring, God-sized kind of life. So when I hear the words, I just want to live while I'm alive, I'm thinking in terms of God. I'm thinking in terms of what that means before God. So, that's the, the groundwork I want to lay for you. Um, it's something that I exhort you guys to do almost every week. And that's to live your faith huge for these few moments you have upon the planet. It's what Jesus was saying to His men and what He says to every Christian. Jesus says, follow Me. Right? <laughs> it's the... It's two of the most beautiful words that you'll ever hear spoken. Jesus says, follow Me. And then He talks about what He does. He calls this the abundant life. John 10.10 I looked this word up, abundant. It means this. It means to have more life. Life beyond measure. Exceeding abundantly more life. Over and above life. More than necessary life. I love that one. Super added, extraordinary, uncommon, surpassing, superior. The last one was a vehement 
kind of life. Don't you love it that God gives us a more than necessary kind of life? I, I don't really know exactly what that means, but I really, really like the sound of it. A more than necessary kind of life. This is the kind of life that God has called His people to. And I love the word vehement. I looked it up. It means to, to live extreme in degree with intensity and passion and conviction. Fervent, energetic, and vigorous. Doesn't that sound right? Doesn't that sound like we ought to live as disciples of Jesus? No more mediocre assumptions or uh, easy presuppositions? No more lukewarm Christianity? We're going to live this abundant life. We're going to live it to the glory of our Father in heaven. It's the kind of life that God gives to us as He introduces us to our awakened, alive, born-again selves. I'm going to say that to you again. Those of you who are in here and are born again, you understand this terminology. But God actually introduces us to our awakened, alive, born-again self. It's the John 3, 3 thing. Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom of God lest you be born again. God not only gives us this gift of abundant life, guess what? Someone tell me. He expects you to live this abundant life. This is not theoretical. This is not academic. He expects you to actually own this life and live this life. To live while you're alive, beloved. Live while you're alive. You have moments as compared to eternity. You have moments on this earth. Jesus says, follow Me. Follow Me vehemently. Follow Me passionately. This is the call of God to His people. God says, Get serious about this more than necessary kind of life that I have purchased for you. I love that, that phrase, more than necessary. It's what God's been calling us to in 1 Peter. I'm going to remind you, if you're going to study 1 Peter, you have to realize that Peter is writing to a dispersed, persecuted, suffering people. Some of the first century readers that are reading this They've lost absolutely everything. It doesn't seem like a more than necessary life. Actually, it seems like a less than necessary life. But what does God say to His people in the hard spot? You guys remember? What does He say? 1 Peter chapter 1, Remember who I am. Remember who you are. Remember what I've done for you. This is how God starts this letter to the suffering people. Remember who you are. And then God says this. <laughs> Remember, chapter 1, verse 1, that I have chosen you. God says, Remember, chapter 1, verse 2, I, I've redeemed you with my blood. God says, Remember, chapter 1, verse 3, I've caused you to be born again. God says, remember chapter 1, verse 4, I've prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. God says, remember chapter 1, verse 5, I'm protecting you with my omnipotent power. I've ordained your trials and I'm perfecting your faith through them. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And do you remember the outcome of all of this? Chapter 1, verse 9, it is the salvation of your soul. Beloved, we understand as Christians, <laughs> it's, not, it's not about circumstance. Your circumstance may be hard. It may, it may not seem like a more than necessary kind of life. But what you and I have to remember is God is still God. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. He's still God. His promise is still good. Romans 8.28 is always true. God is doing a good thing. Even in the hard spot, you may remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may do what? Does anybody remember? I'll give you a euro if you remember. That you may do what? Okay, Josh. I'll have to catch you later. I don't have any on me. Um, 
to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Beloved, that's what the abundant life is all about. That you would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Just like we've sang here tonight. These beautiful songs just praising Christ. Praising who He is. And what we've seen since we've gotten past 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 in the last 60 days is that God is fleshing this out. What it really looks like to be a Christian in the world. What it really looks like. What it really looks like to live while you're alive. He called us in chapter 2, 11 and 12, He said that we're to, be, we're to live excellent alien lives. And then He said, He's been hammering the same thing ever since then. Anybody know what it is? In different contexts, He's been talking about the same attribute that every Christian is supposed to evidence in their life. Anybody remember what it is? Submission. He's been talking about submission since chapter 2, verse 12. Submit to every human institution. That's human government. Submit to your earthly masters, even when you're treated unjustly. That's our employers or anyone who has authority over us. God turns to His adopted daughters and says, submit to your own husbands, even if they are unbelievers. Why do we do that, ladies? It's evangelism. It's evangelism. It's evangelism. And God turns to His adopted sons and He says, submit to loving and serving your wives even as I have loved the church. God's been hammering this point home about submission. Then we come to 1 Peter 3, verse 8. And Peter writes, To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. God says finally, let all, meaning all Christians, He's not talking to specific groups now, He's talking to the whole church, Conduct yourself in this way. Be harmonious. I'm sure you guys know what these words basically mean, but I, I did some word studies on them and I'm going to share briefly with you what I learned from the original language. To be harmonious. It means more than simply being agreeable. Yes, we are to be agreeable in the body and in the world. We're to be agreeable. But it, in the body, it means something more. It means to be like-minded. We have the mind of Christ. We have the Word of God in our hearts. We have it in our minds. We are like-minded. Or we could say we are spirit-minded. We think like God because we're indwelt, like, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. None of us do that perfectly. But we are harmonious in that way. Now, we do pursue unity at all costs, right? We pursue unity in the, in the body at all costs except one. What's the, what's the one expense we are unwilling to pay for unity? Anyone, anybody know? Truth. Unity does not trump truth. Many times, people will give the cry of unity, but they don't even come close to believing this. They don't even preach out of this. They have no use for this. And they call for unity. Beloved, we love unity as true Christians. We desire unity, but not at the expense of truth. We are harmonious, but not at the expense of God's Word. Second thing, sympathetic. God says be sympathetic. It means to be compassionate. To exercise empathy and pity. Be ready to step in and share the suffering of others. It takes time to be present with one who is suffering. I like that. It takes time to be present with the one who suffers. Third, brotherly. It means what you think it means. To love one like a brother. Christians don't just see other uh, Christians in the body as mere acquaintances or even uh, distant relatives. We see them as family, close family, like, like a brother. Amen? This is what the Lord has called us to. Fourthly, God says, be kind-hearted. Be tender-hearted tender toward one another. 
To care for one another from your innermost being. Literally here, the Greek says to be generous toward one another from your bowels. This is how they talked about it. From the deepest place in you to love and serve and be kind-hearted with your brother. This is what the Lord says to us. Number five, to be humble in spirit, to be lowly in spirit, to be deferential, to be modest, to be meek. And we're back where we started, to be submissive. You say, well, Jim, some of these, some of these traits do not come naturally to me. Right? Does that, does that fit anybody? Sometimes I'm disagreeable. Sometimes I'm uncaring. Sometimes I'm indifferent. Sometimes I'm hard-hearted. Sometimes I am arrogant. Well, you know what I'm going to say, right? <laughs> There's another euro in it if you know what I'm going to say. This is, hard. this is a hard one, so I, I, I'll put 10 down on this one. You know what I'm going to say? Of course you can't do this naturally. You must do this supernaturally. You can't do this perfectly. You can't do it without God. As you submit to the Holy Spirit, it can only be done supernaturally. Beloved, it takes a lifetime of submission to the Spirit of God to learn how to flawlessly live like this. In fact, you will never do it flawlessly until you see Him face to face. But this is something God is calling you to do. And, this is, and if you struggle in these areas, God means for you to make it a matter of prayer that you might begin to embody more and more and more and more, progressively more, these attributes in your life. So what's the solution when we fail to live like this in the body? What's the solution? We confess our sin and we ask for forgiveness from our brother or sister, right? It's not hard. <laughs> there is a remedy. There is a remedy when you fail to love like you should love and serve like you should serve. God's given us a remedy. Lord, I was not tender-hearted. I was not kind. I was not humble. Forgive me, Lord. And immediately He'll dispatch you to the one you have offended or hurt to ask for forgiveness. You know, if you can't ask for forgiveness, you can't be a Christian. <laughs> you can't. Because there's going to be so many times in your life you're going to have to say, I'm sorry. And if you don't habitually say, I'm sorry, you probably are maybe blind to your own sin you're going to have to be able to say, I am sorry. Please forgive me, brother. I did not love you. I did not serve you like I ought. Beloved, this is important. We need to learn how to say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. Verse 9, God says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the, this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Not returning evil for evil and insult for insult. This is a big deal with God. I can't even, I don't want to take the time to give you all the scriptural references. He says it many, many, many times. We talked about it when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 to 21 some weeks ago. So, what are we to do when we are unjustly treated or, or, or when we are attacked? Does anybody remember from 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20? What are we supposed to do? Remember what he said? He said, Christian, bear up under sorrow when you suffer unjustly. And he said, Christian, patiently endure it when we suffer for doing what is right. Why do we live this way? There are many answers to that question. But principally in the text it says, this finds favor with God. Let me ask you, beloved, is your attitude under stress, under persecution, under unjust treatment, does it find favor with God? It can. You've got to do this. 
<laughs> you've got to do verse 8 and you've got to do verse 9. This finds favor. This finds favor with God. Yeah, this is more supernatural stuff. We talked about it again when we uh, uh, a month or so ago when we were in 1 Peter 2, 18 and 21. You may remember some of the things we said. You are to take God more seriously. Does anybody remember? You're to take God more seriously than the offense. Do you? When you're offended, do you take God more serious than you take the offense? Or does the offense blind you, blind you to everything else? Because your ego has been bruised. Your ego is above God, really. It's above God in how you react. This is what happens many times. Beloved, we are found out under pressure. <laughs> we find out that our ego is more precious to us than the Word of God. You are to take God more seriously than the offense. You are to love God more than you love payback. Remember? We talked about this. You're to love God more then you love payback. How many of you love payback? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I know most of you love payback. God says, my people don't live like that. My people don't live like that. God says, your delight in me more than you delight in retribution. These are some of the things that we talked about a month or so ago. You are to enjoy pleasing God more than you enjoy pleasing your bruised ego. This is the Word of God. Remember what we said about this. This is not a rule you can keep. <laughs> you, you can't do this in your own flesh. You don't want to do this in your own flesh. You will not do this in your own flesh. You must submit to the, to the authority of God's Word and the power of His Spirit. This is the only way you'll learn to live like this. It's the only way that you will. It's not a rule you can keep. It's a miracle God is calling you to live out upon the earth so the unbelievers will see, man, that guy's like God. God's like that. And He lives like God. Again, none of us do it perfectly. And when we fail and we will, we know what the remedy is. We confess our sin before a gracious God who, who rains down grace upon us and we go to our brother, we go to our sister. We may even have to go to an unbeliever and ask for forgiveness. This is a big deal with God, beloved. It's what the Gospel is. You're supposed, as we've been talking about, you're supposed to be a parable of the Gospel. People are supposed to see grace in you because you've received grace. Yes? So the world is supposed to see grace on display in your life. Some people say, well, Jim, well then, Jim, what about justice? What about equity? What about fairness? We've talked about this. This is not our concern. Equity is not our concern. Justice is not our concern. What does God say to us in His Word? He says, vengeance is mine. You don't worry about it. Your job, your job, is to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose. This is, part, this is an important part, beloved, of your job description. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to be living like this. When the offense comes, you give a blessing. That's big, isn't it? That's big stuff. That certainly doesn't come natural to, I don't think, any of us. We are to give a blessing we mentioned these verses back in February, but I don't think you can ever read these verses enough. Matthew 5, 38-41. Let me just read it to you. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to, wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Is that how you live? You say, well, Jim, you know, 
That's really beautiful. That's great prose. But nobody's expected to live like that. Wrong! We are expected to live like that. This is the Word of God. We can't just discount it because it's hard. Of course it's hard. Did you think it was going to be easy to walk with Jesus? It's not. It involves a cross. Right? Pick up your cross and follow Me. You've got to crucify the ego, brother. You've got to crucify your ego, sister. Or you can't go with Jesus at all. You can play church. You can do religion, but you can't walk with Jesus. Unless you're crucifying that ego and that vanity and that pride and that arrogance and that flesh. Beloved, we all struggle with this. But my job is to exhort you to do this. Even as the Lord beat me up all week as I studied it. <laughs> Jim, do it! There's some people I need to apologize to. I bet there's some people you need to apologize to. Matthew 5, 43-45, Jesus says, You've heard it that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. God says, this is how my sons and my daughters live. First Peter 3.9 God says, You were called for this purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So I want you to listen to me closely for a few minutes because I'm going to make a, a distinction here that's important. If we're, if, we're, if we're lazy with this text, we'll misunderstand what is being said. By living this excellent alien life, we reveal that we are excellent aliens. I want you to understand this. To give a blessing when treated unjustly does not mean we earn the inherited blessing. Some people get confused here. That's not what this text is saying. That to give a blessing when treated unjustly is to earn an inherited blessing. First of all, we understand that an inheritance is not earned, right? An inheritance is not earned. An inheritance is a gift. But to give a blessing when treated unjustly reveals who we are, right? We belong to God. We're one of those God people. We're a Jesus disciple. Nobody else on the planet, I don't think, purports or proposes to live like this. Only a true born-again Christian is interested in living like this. Because only a true born-again Christian is interested in pleasing Christ. Right? So to give a blessing when treated unjustly, it simply reveals our pedigree. It reveals who we belong to. We belong to Christ. By giving a blessing when treated unjustly, we're not earning an inheritance. I'm just going to make the point again. We're not earning an inheritance. We're revealing who we are. We're revealing that we are actually heirs of that inheritance. By giving a blessing, we're not earning something. We are revealing something. I hope you understand. This is what the text means. You are revealing that you are a child of God. When in the face of persecution, insult, and evil, you give a blessing. I love this stuff. Man, I got so jazzed about this. I did. I got so jazzed about it. I really want to do this a lot more. Right? This is powerful stuff. Don't you think? Don't you think this is powerful? I think it's liberating. I think it would be fun, actually, to just watch the person be covered in shame. Maybe that's not good. <laughs> but God says it in His Word. When you, when you live like this, you heap coals upon the head of those who persecute you. They're, the world is dumbfounded when you live like this, beloved. It is, a, it is an awesome testimony to live like this. I just got really jazzed about it. Um, I want to learn how to 
do it better. So what is the blessing we give to someone who has given us insult and evil? It's forgiveness. Unconditional forgiveness. It's kindness. It's generosity. It's goodness. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited forgiveness, kindness, generosity, and goodness. Yeah, just like God showed you. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something about forgiveness, and if you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. How can a Christian not forgive when you've been forgiven the unpayable debt? Right? The parable of the 10,000 talents. It's an unpayable debt. That's your debt before God. And it's gone. It's simply gone. And you're going to hold a grievance against your brother? The point is, God says, my people don't live like that. They freely dispense grace because they've freely received grace. Don't call yourself a Christian if you can't forgive that person in your life you need to forgive. Don't call yourself a Christian. Listen, if you need to, if you need to forgive someone, forgive them with a happy heart. You know, you're the only one suffering. The person that you won't forgive, they're, it's, they're not burning any emotional fuel about this. You're the one that's burning emotional fuel with it. So we give forgiveness you say, well, Jim, you don't understand how badly that person hurt me. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what they said to me. That's right, I don't, but God does. And God says, forgive them. God says, forgive them. Not only forgive them, love them. If we go read the Sermon on the Mount, we don't simply forgive, we love them. This is big stuff, beloved. You say, well, Jim, that's really hard. I know. <laughs> it's hard to walk with Jesus sometimes. It's always awesome. It's always beautiful. It's always joyful. But sometimes it's hard. You've got to crucify the ego. You've got to crucify the vanity. You've got to crucify the pride and the arrogance. Metaphorically, you've got to get down and wash feet. Right? This finds favor with God. This finds favor with God. Paul said it like this, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Jesus. Have you? Let me ask you, have you? He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Is that true of you? Is Christ living in you? Can He be seen in your life? Paul goes on. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen, everything I'm saying to you tonight, you have to do it by faith. You're never going to just feel like doing it, most likely. Unless you're like really super spiritual guy. And maybe some of you are. But your flesh doesn't want to do this. It never wants to do this. Your ego never wants to do this. God says, do it. <laughs> God says, God says, do it. And I'm challenging you by using the, the words of Paul, Galatians 2.20, do it by faith in the Son of God. Do it by faith in the Son of God. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here of Galatians 2.20. <laughs> He says, he says, my ego is no longer central. Now that'd be a great thing to be able to confess to God tonight when you go home. Lord, my ego is no longer central in my life. You are central in my life, not my ego, not my vanity and pride. You. You are central. That's the bottom line really to this text, I think, beloved. If it's still about your ego, you can't do verse 8 and 9. You can't do it. You just simply can't do it. Just close the book and get on with your life. You can't 
You can't do what God's calling you to do if it's about your ego. You can't do it. You won't do it. Verses 10 and 11, For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. God says if a man means to love life and see good days, or maybe we could paraphrase it, if a man wants to live while he's alive, right? Let him have no evil or guile, meaning guile meaning deceit. Let him have no evil or guile in his mouth. Let him shun evil, always doing good and always pursuing peace. There's something here that you can't see in the English, but you could see it. You can see it in the Greek. There are two words for life in the Greek language. One is bios. It's the word we get biology from. It's talking about a heartbeat and brain waves and a pulse, right? The other one is zoe, right? Zoe is the soulish life. Zoe is the higher life. Zoe is the spiritual life. And the word that's used here, guess which one it is? It's the higher life. If you mean to love the spiritual life and see good days, live like this. <laughs> this is what God is saying. Live like this. The word is Zoe. C.S. Lewis clearly differentiates Bios and Zoe in his book, Mere Christianity. Let me just read you a short uh, paragraph from that book. C.S. Lewis says, What man in his natural condition, his bios condition, has not got is spiritual life. That's Zoe. The higher sort of life that exists in God. There is a certain shadowy resemblance between the biological life and the spiritual life, but only the sort of resemblance there is between a photograph and an actual place. Or a statue... <clears throat> and the actual man. A man who changed from merely having bios to having zoe would have undergone as big a change as a statue which changed from being a carved stone to being a real man. I love this. This is a beautiful picture of regeneration. This is a beautiful picture of being born again. You know? He continues, that is precisely what Christianity is all about. The world is a great sculptor's shop full of statues and some of us are coming alive. Amen? I love that. We're not merely bios anymore. We've moved into Zoe. We're really living while we're alive. We're Zoe in Christ. That's what I've been talking about with the Bon Jovi quote. We can be spiritual men in this physical body. We can live God-sized, God-pleasing lives in this fallen world. Braveheart was right. Every man dies. Anybody know how that finishes? Every man dies. But not every man really lives. Every bios man dies, but not every bios man ever experiences Zoe. Beloved, I'm exhorting you to live while you are alive. To take the bios and give it to Zoe. Use the bios to make Zoe real in your orbit, in your family, in your church, in your neighborhood, in, in your larger community, in your workplace, that the life of God can be seen. God has called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. We are chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We are no longer bound, and I'm going to try to say something. I'm sure I'll butcher it, but I'm going to try to say it. We are no longer bound to the bios sphere. We are set free to live the zoe sphere. How about that? I thought I was going to butcher that one. I was having trouble saying it in my office. We've been set free simply from the bios sphere. We don't live at this lower level anymore. We live here. We live at the zoe sphere level. 
we're living up here. And we can give a blessing. We can return blessing for evil and insult. We can. Because God is in us. God is in us. We have, I was looking at that Isaiah chapter 40 passage, we have gained new strength. We have mounted up with wings like eagles. Amen? We fly in the Spirit. You can't hold us back. Yes, of course I can give a blessing in the face of evil and insult. Of course I can because my God is God. And my God has given me the third member of the Trinity. He indwells me. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can. Don't say you can't. You can. The problem is, probably some of you have never tried. You've never been offended and consciously thought, you know, the light bulb goes on, bam, blessing. You've never been attacked and thought, blessing. Next time, listen. Next time it comes, when the offense comes, when the attack comes, when the slight comes, when the hurt comes, when the pain comes, blessing. I just think this is awesome stuff. The Lord's really lighting me up on First Peter, man. I really, he's, he's, he's fundamentally, He's really lighting me up. And I love it. I do. I just love it. God says, those who would live Zoe, let, them, let there be no evil or guile in His mouth. Let them shun evil, do good, and pursue peace. We know what Jesus says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who... Do evil. The eyes of the Lord, it's a common Old Testament phrase. Um, it always relates to God's, I love this, His watchfulness over His people. God is always watchful. Don't you love this? He's watchful over you. Uh, I think maybe the most powerful place this is seen is in the Second Chronicles 16.9 verse. You guys know this one, I'm sure. The text says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Is that not beautiful? You say, Jim, I don't think I could ever give a blessing in the face of evil and insult. You can. You know why? Because the eyes of the Lord are upon you. <laughs> that He may give strong support to those whose heart belongs to Him. <laughs> you can do anything, man. You can do anything. You can. You say, no, Jim, I... Yes, you can. You can. Through the power of God in your life. You can. Those who want to live while they're alive, they can. Why? Because El Shaddai, the Almighty God, strongly supports you. The God, you hear me say this all the time, the God who effortlessly spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence is the God who will bring that power to bear in your circumstance. That's the kind of power we're talking about. It's infinite power. It's limitless power. Look what the psalmist says, Psalm 121.2, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. <laughs> I say this to you a lot. You and the Lord are always in the majority. You may, it may look like you're outnumbered 100 to 1. But you and God, you and Christ, you and the Spirit of God, you are always in the majority. Did you notice that not only are His eyes upon you, His ears attend you. Isaiah 65, 24 is always true. God says, before they call, I will. Someone tell me. Answer. <laughs> I love this about Him. Before my people call, I have answered. You've heard me say it many times as we pray. I know that my prayer in time was answered in eternity past. The answer has already come. The, answer's, the answer is coming. Um, I love that. Say, so Jim, this, looks, this sounds hard. I don't think I can do it. Yes, you can. The eyes of the Lord are upon you and His ears are attending to your prayers. You can do Zoe. 
You can. Because God has pledged Himself to you. God is watching and God is listening. He is ready to hear your prayer and He is ready to bring His creative power to bear in your circumstance. Did you notice here as we close that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil? This is a phrase that appears often in Scripture. And it's, it's normally in the context of judgment. When God's face is against someone, it's, he, he, it's, it's a picture of wrath. It's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of condemnation. Scripture repeatedly uses this phrase in that context. But we are not the enemies of God. We, as Peter has told us, we are the chosen people of God. And we've been left here to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Beloved, you can live this you can live this miracle that we're talking about. Giving a blessing in the face of evil and insult. You can do it. You can live this miracle. You know, I've told you this many times, but when people come to me for counseling, the thing I say to them most, I, don't, I can't solve their problem usually. And it's usually a problem. It's not about solving the problem usually anyway. It's about perspective. It's about who you're looking at. If you're just looking at the problem, you're going to crash every time. But if you're looking at God, you will blow through it. I'm not making light of, of real heartache and tragedy. I'm not making light of it, but I'm saying if you are looking at God, you will get to the other side. And so what I tell people most of the time is delight yourself in the Lord. Just do that. Jim, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. Delight yourself in the Lord. Look at God. You know, look at God. Let Him so fill you up that you can give a blessing. Let Him so utterly satisfy you that you can give a blessing in the face of evil. Be so completely in love with Jesus that you can do 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I can do it because I love Christ. I can do it because He's given me everything that I need. So I'm going to close with a challenge. I want every born-again Christian in this room to decide right now that you will live this miracle for the rest of your days. And when you fail to live this miracle, and I'm sure I will, every day, when I fail... I covenant to confess my sin and go to the one that I have hurt or offended or lashed back at or made that cutting comment to. I will go and I will apologize and I will ask for their forgiveness and I will tell them why I'm doing it. Because God tells me to live this way. Jesus Christ says to live this way. Listen, it'll be a great testimony to some of your fellow students and co-workers and colleagues, when you go and apologize to them and you, bring, you, you interject the name of Jesus into it, um, it'll be a great testimony. So I want to challenge you. You say, Jim, I've really, I, struggle. I, I think I'm going to struggle in this. That's okay. Pray about it. God says, my eyes are upon you and my ear is open for your prayer. Pray about it. Let it be a matter of prayer. Some of you are saying, Jim, I can't ever live this. This is too big. You can live this. You can live this. Let it be a matter of prayer. God's eyes are upon you that He may strongly support you. God's ears are attending you that He may answer every prayer. God says, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and let his lips uh, and his lips from speaking guile. 
and let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we love it that You call us to live the impossible. <laughs> we love it that You call us to live like this. We understand that it really comes down to the ego and the pride and the self-love and the arrogance and the vanity. We understand that You're calling us to crucify these things. We understand that that's really what stands in the way of actually learning how to give a blessing in the face of evil, in the face of insult. That's really the only thing holding us back. So Lord, we confess our sin to You tonight. We confess that in... Prior days, we have loved our ego far more than we have loved Your commands to us. We have loved payback more than we have loved You. We have delighted in retribution more than we have delighted in You. Lord, forgive us our great sin before You. And we cry out, Lord, we, what You already know, we can't do this without You. Holy Spirit, come. Wash us clean. Indwell us fully. Teach us. Comfort us. Lead us. Guide us. Exhort us. Encourage us as we seek to go out into, into the world and give this kind of testimony to the miraculous power of Jesus in a life. We praise You, Lord. We love You. Thank You for this high call. Help us to live it, Lord. We live it by faith in Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.